All right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you for once again uh, bringing us together to uh, to worship you, uh, to study your word, uh, Lord, to glorify your name. Lord, we just pray for um, all of those who are uh, not feeling well, Lord, that your spirit would be upon them, that uh, you would comfort them uh, and uh, just quickly restore them to health so that they can return to us. And uh, Lord, um, we uh, we just pray that you'll be with us in this study, that as we consider uh, who the Holy Spirit is, uh, Lord, that we would just um, just gain a deeper understanding, that we would grow in love, Lord, that it would impact our lives. Um, God, there truly is nothing greater than knowing you. And so, God, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So last week, uh, we began to look at uh, the Holy Spirit in terms of who he is as the, as the third member of the Trinity. Um, this week, uh, we're going to begin to consider uh, who he is in terms of his actions. Um, of course, uh, whenever we're seeing God, whenever we see God act, um, we shouldn't assume that the Holy Spirit isn't involved unless he's explicitly mentioned. Uh, but we're going to focus on the things that are explicitly attributed uh, to the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's not going to be an exhaustive look of everything that the Holy Spirit does, but what does Scripture specifically tell us um, is um, the, the special work of the Holy Spirit. And as we think of, uh, of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, it's natural for us to to focus on the, uh, the activity, his, his activity in our own lives, uh, such as the conversion of sinners to Christ, uh, the, uh, the sanctification of believers. Those are the types of things that we, we often are, at the, those are often at the forefront of our minds as we consider the work of the Holy Spirit, because it's like, that's, you know, day to day what we, um, you know, what, what impacts us. Uh, but today we're gonna we're gonna go back and we're gonna look at the Old Testament and see uh, the work of the Spirit uh, leading up to the coming of Christ. Um, we're also gonna spend some time in future lessons, specifically at the the work of the Spirit in the ministry of Christ. Uh, but just this morning we're gonna focus on what does the Old Testament tell us about the work of the Holy Spirit during that period of time leading up to. Uh, the coming of Christ. Now, in uh, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, the word for spirit um, isn't exclusively used of the spirit. Um, does anybody know what other uses that the word has? It's your, the word spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, the, in the in the original languages, in the Hebrew and in the Greek. So, I mean, in English, you know, we have the word spirit, which is ha, has a more limited range of meaning. But the word that was used in both the Hebrew and the Greek had a broader range of meaning than our word spirit does. Does anybody know what what other English words would be would fit into the range of the Hebrew and Greek words? Like breath, breath, or wind, uh, or wind. Yes, yeah, those are the those are kind of the two main ones: the, the idea of the wind or of the breath. And you know, in English, we have you know we have distinct words for those. 
Um, but in the in the Hebrew uh, and in the Greek, uh, you know, there's there's basically just the one word that refers to all of those six. Um, and so, uh, in some sense, that that brings some connections together. Um, that uh, there there's a little more opportunity for for wordplay and connecting ideas uh, that we need to consider. But uh, you know, but as translators translate the Bible, they just have to look at the context and try to, you know, come to a conclusion about, um, you know, about what uh, what is being referred to uh, when the word is used. Um, but that's going to come up with some of the things we're going to look at this morning. Um, the first uh, thing we want to look at is uh, just the work of the Spirit in creation, and we touched on that last week when we were talking about just the fact that the Holy Spirit. Uh, has the attributes of God, you know, as, a, as kind of a proof for the fact that the Holy Spirit is himself God. Um, we want to look a little bit more about that. Um, so Genesis 1-2 uh, is kind of the, you know, the, the, the big verse that we talk about. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so this is in the, just in the very beginning as God is creating the world. Um, the Holy Spirit is there present um, in, the, in the face of the, of the formless void, the, the, the lack of structure um, as God then begins um, over the course of six days to, uh, to bring earth to its, uh, its completed state. Um, and when we consider that, it's it's interesting. Um, it says that the that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Has anybody ever considered that word and uh, what what that's referring to? Anybody have any thoughts on that? It's interesting. As I was studying it, um, it turns out that 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 word hovering um, only appears two other times in the Old Testament. Uh, one of those is um, not terribly related, but might give us a little bit of an idea of what the word means. It's in Jeremiah chapter 23 uh, and verse 9. Um, Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, and all my bones shake. And that word shake is actually the word um, there. Um, I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Um, and so there we see, I mean, almost sounds like the person is shivering. Um, so it's, uh, I give us some idea of what this is talking about. The other passage is, is a little more related. Um, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Um, and here it's talking about God's care for his people. Um, and beginning in verse 9, it says, uh, But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young. Spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. So there in verse 11, where it says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young. That word flutters there in the ESV 
is uh, is once again the, the the word that we have in Genesis one two for hovering. So when we consider those things, um, does anybody have any idea what we might make of this idea of the of the spirit hovering over the face of the waters? Nobody wants to risk a speculation, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it is it is a, a somewhat you know debated issue, but um, but the consensus, at least from what I was able to study, it, you know, it looks like um, it is kind of the idea of of basically like a a bird that that broods over its nest and it you know kind of shakes its feathers over its over its eggs that it's you know that it's um, um, that it's. Uh, nesting and uh, attempting to hatch, um, but it, it's very much the, you know the idea of of caring and looking over for the purpose of life, um, I guess is um, the way that you would explain it. But it's it's basically just a just a view of you know the Holy Spirit just being very intimately involved in uh, and very uh, and very much with care involved in the creation of the world uh, and bringing it uh, into its completed state. Any thoughts or questions on that? Just a little look at that. Um, another area uh, of creation that it's a little less clear that the Holy Spirit is, um, you know, can be directly attributed, but I think you can make a connection that um, that does make it come out. Uh, Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Um, it says, "Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils." the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So here we see the creation specifically of man, of mankind. Um, and we, we see that that um, that man is created in a way where um, he's not just a physical being, and he's not just an immaterial being, but that God created man as a combination of a physical being and an immaterial being, um, that those those things go together. Um, I, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's very common in our day uh, to hear people uh, talk about basically the body just being just a shell, just a kind of a a, a temporary housing for who we truly are. Um, and I think that that can sometimes miss what the Bible teaches that God created. Mankind as basically a, as a body soul unity. That's our that's our natural existence, the way God created this. And so, um, obviously, in the resurrection, we'll be restored to that state. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it is true that like the you know the the soul survives the death of the body, and we you know we we continue to exist even without our body, um, just as our immaterial aspect. But it's important to realize that mankind is intended to be uh, a body-soul unity. But when we look at this and we, uh, we consider that um, the, the action of God taking the physical form of man um, and making him into a living creature, what is the action that God performs there? He breathes life into him. He breathes life the, into him. He breathes the breath of life. Yeah, he breathes the breath of life. Now, what does that make us think of? 
Well, if you're describing uh, wind or breath as the spirit, mm -hmm. it, it brings that to mind. Yeah, it does bring that to mind. Um, and I think if we look over at Job chapter 33, um, I think we can we can maybe make it a little a little more explicit uh, just when we connect these two passages. Uh, Job chapter 33 verse 4. This is Elihu speaking. He's the uh, the person who stands up kind of at the at the end of the of the discourse when Job's three friends have you know basically been silenced um, and in a sense kind of speaks for God um, and uh, presents many true things. But here he says the spirit of God. In verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Um, and so there, he's specifically talking about it's the Spirit of God that has made him. Um, and, but he refers to the breath of the Almighty giving him life. And it does, in a sense, almost seems to be like this dual aspect of humanity uh, that's that's put forth here in this verse as well. So, I mean, I think it's it's a... It definitely looks fairly parallel to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Um, so the you know the Holy Spirit being involved here in the creation of mankind, in the the breathing of the breath of life in mankind. We obviously don't want to be too dogmatic about specifically how this all works, but I think those are some suggested things. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to say just uh, just because the um, the words that are used for spirit can mean breath or wind. It doesn't mean that there's not other words, like for example in this Job passage, and the breath of life, or even in Genesis, that word for breath is different than the word spirit. Right. You know, so it, you know we can't always equate those one on one right. just for yeah. people's information. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. that's a that's a good observation. Yes, there are, there are other words in the in the Hebrew there that are that are available for those things. So very clearly we see. The Holy Spirit involved in creation, in the creation of the world, in the creation of mankind. Um, you know, obviously, you know, just the fact that God creates the world, that God creates mankind, is enough to see that the Holy Spirit is involved. But specifically, the Holy Spirit is mentioned um, in these places as being specifically involved. Now, another aspect of what we see the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament um, is in Prophecy. Um, now, prophecy, if we rightly understand it, is not limited to foretelling future events. Uh, in in modern day English, I mean, that's very frequently the way we use the, the term prophecy. Is we're it's like, oh, it's somebody who's predicting the future. Uh, but biblically speaking, um, it's really more. Well, let me, let me just ask you, how would you define prophecy? Uh, with the with the knowledge that we're not just limited to what's in the future, but what, what would you say the Bible is talking about when it speaks about prophecy? It's what God has told us will happen. Mm -hmm. okay. it, it, it's things that, God, that we are expecting that God has told us will happen. Okay. Yeah, it's, it certainly is that. Um, I don't know that it, it would even be limited, though, to things that we're expecting like in the future. But I think really the ultimate thing is is, is what God tells us. Um, it can be, you know, I mean, in a sense, it could be even what God says about the past, or it could be what God says about His law. Um, any of these things um, are, biblically speaking, prophecy. It's it's basically it's the word of God being brought to to human beings. The prophets 
didn't necessarily always come just to tell people the future, but sometimes just to say, look, what you're doing is sinful. Um, this is against the law of God. Um, I would I would argue that's more, I mm-hmm. mean, they were more like covenant lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, to stand before God's people and call them back to repentance to, to right. obey the Lord. That's probably more the function of the prophets mm-hmm. than yeah, yeah, the I others. Think so. So, yeah. yeah, but there is at times, obviously, the element of you know, of telling the yeah. future. So it's that is there, but but yes, it is very much uh, just the the uh, the people, uh, the the prophets, telling people what it is that God says. Um, we see this uh, repeatedly. I mean, obviously, every time you know one of the prophets says, you know, thus says the Lord. You know, he's saying that God is the one who's giving him the message, um, but. There are uh, various places where it's explicitly stated to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, for example, my, for example, uh, Micah chapter three, uh, verse eight said, says, uh, "But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin." Um, and so there, um, you know, Micah is describing the, the power with which he's filled, and that. Um, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that that is what he's doing. He is, um, as Pastor Rick said, a, a covenant lawyer there, you know, bringing to the people of God uh, their transgressions, their sin against God, um, and proclaiming that to him. Um, David viewed himself um, as speaking the, the words of the Spirit of the Lord. Um, Second Samuel chapter 23 I'm going to look at the first two verses of that, 2 Samuel chapter 23 uh, it says now these are the last words of David the oracle of David the son of Jesse the oracle of the man who was raised on high the anointed of the God of Jacob the sweet psalmist of Israel and then it begins the quote the spirit of the Lord speaks by me his word is on my tongue and so we see that you know, David recognized that the things that he was saying, that those were from the Spirit of the Lord, that, um, that the, the words that he would speak, the things that were on his tongue, came from the Spirit of the Lord. Um, and even when we go to the, to the New Testament, again, this is, this is, in a sense, kind of a review of what we looked at in the fall, isn't it, uh, where we you know, talk about the, you know, the, the inspiration of Scripture. Um, but in the, uh, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 16, Peter is speaking here and speaks specifically of David. Um, different passage of scripture, but um, he says uh, there in verse 16, brothers, the, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And so, uh, once again there, Peter is recognizing that the Holy Spirit is the one who is speaking through David. In this case, this is a prophecy that is specifically uh, looking to the future. Um, these, this is something that, uh, that God predicted beforehand uh, through, uh, through David, but it's specifically by his Holy Spirit. A couple passages, a few passages that we did specifically spend a lot of time on um, last fall. It's worth looking at again. First uh, Peter, chapter one, uh, verses ten through twelve. This is 
again, just a, a well-known passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation, uh, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So there we see um, Peter specifically referring to these Old Testament prophets that are prophesying about, um, the, about the coming of Christ and the things that he would do. Um, and, the, you know, that these, these prophets in the Old Testament... Um, you know, they're writing these things down, but they don't fully understand even what they're writing. And so, like, they're writing these things down, but then they're but then they're studying their own writings, trying to figure out what is it that God is is saying in this, um, and clearly showing that it's not you know it's not something that came from their own minds. Um, but uh, it says specifically here, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Um, and so, it's the Spirit of Christ in them. So, uh, again, we see a, a connection between the members of the, of the Trinity there, but it's the Spirit. Um, the Spirit is in them, uh, leading them to write these things. Um, and so they are they're trying to figure out what it is that God is revealing about future events. Um, you also see that the, uh, the good news is preached uh, by, the, by the Holy Spirit, but that's, uh, that's for a later lesson. So... Um, but uh, also, uh, Peter, some, uh, Peter wrote something else over in 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1. Uh, 2 Peter, chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, again, an emphasis on the fact that these prophets are not speaking from themselves. They're not providing their own view of what you know what's true or what's reality. Uh, they are delivering the word of God. They are... Um, providing that information from our Creator. Um, and Peter specifically here says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So specifically the third member of the Trinity is involved there in leading these people to write the things that they that they wrote. Um, I think I mentioned before um, that uh, you know where it says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Another passage, in the New Testament that uses that same word has the uh, is talking about a, a boat that's, that's you know it's a ship on the sea and the wind is blowing and they're being carried along by the wind um, and so it's it's kind of the same idea that the, these prophets are being carried along by the Holy Spirit uh, to write the words of God one final passage um, probably the most well-known passage on the inspiration of Scripture, 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You might look at that and say, well, or, you know, where's the Holy Spirit in that passage? Um, what do you think? Why, why, are we, why are we looking at that specifically for this discussion this morning? Is the Holy Spirit involved here? Yes. It explicitly kind of going back to the whole word. Holy Spirit also means breath. God literally breathed it out, but it's also the Holy Spirit that was inspired. Mm -hmm. Inspired the author to write it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, that very word uh, breathed out by God. I mean, some translations have inspired there, and we see the word spirit, you know, in the word inspired. That's just because that's um, that's the uh, you know the, the Greek word there is is basically breathed out or spirit or, or, or yeah spirited out I guess you could put it that way um, but it's you know it's the idea of the breath of God that the that the that the word of God the the Bible is in a sense the very breath of God which again just goes right back to it's the spirit of God so. Very clearly, we see that um, a work of the Spirit um, that we see specifically in the Old Testament, but I mean it applies to the New Testament scriptures as well, is the Holy Spirit involved uh, very specifically in the giving of the, of the inspiration of scripture. Now there's some various other things that we see the Holy Spirit doing uh, throughout the Old Testament. One of the things that we see him doing is that he uh, he comes on people for the for the purpose of leadership. Um, this is something that happens numerous times in the Old Testament. Um, one passage, uh, Numbers chapter eleven. It's a rather lengthy passage. We're not going to read the whole thing here, but uh, Numbers eleven sixteen through thirty is the is the passage. And here it's um, you know Moses is dealing with the the people. Um, and they're they're grumbling and complaining, and he's you know he's trying to, to run this whole group of people, and um, God has him appoint seventy people to kind of take some of the burden off. Beginning in verse sixteen, it says, uh, "Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, uh, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand here with you, and I will come down and talk with you there." And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it uh, yourself alone. And then just uh, jumping down to verse 24, uh, it says, uh, So Moses went out and told the people uh, the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Uh, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders and as soon as the spirit rested on them they prophesied uh, but they did not continue doing it um, and so there we see that the Holy Spirit uh, being given specifically so that these people would be equipped to be able to help in the governing of the, of the people of Israel um, interestingly as you continue on there's a, a couple of the 
of the people uh, that apparently didn't actually come to the spot they were supposed to, but the Spirit still came down on them, um, and so they were out in the camp of the people, um, and they began prophesying. And this, uh, this causes some concern for, for Joshua. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, uh, uh, My Lord, uh, Moses, stop them. Uh, but Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Uh, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit on them. Um, and so there we see that, like, um, just, you know, the, the idea that Moses is desiring that the spirit of God would be on all of God's people. Um, and, it, you know, the, the spirit of God certainly was very involved with, the, with God's people throughout the old covenant period. Uh, but we do have this extra blessing where, you know, we receive the Holy Spirit and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit in a manner that wasn't, you know, common for all believers um, under the Old Covenant. So um, Moses, you know, gets his, uh, his, uh, his desire uh, answered um, in the future. Um, just a very interesting thing there. Um, various other passages uh, pop up with the, the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon people to, uh, to, be, uh, to, to empower them to be wise leaders. Uh, there's a couple instances in Judges, just looking at one of them, Judges chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, says, But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and here they had, you know, you know if you're familiar with Judges, you know that every little bit they, you know, they kind of go their own way and do their own thing, and then you know, they get in trouble, and then they're like, Oh wait, God, please come help us. Uh, so, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord uh, raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel and saved them. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. It says, the spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave uh, Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And, he, and his hand prevailed over Cushan uh, Rishathaim. And so there we see, like you know, that he's he's able to to rule the people, to judge the people. He's able to uh, to defeat the enemies of God's people um, in a way that like nobody was able to do this. They were they were just overcome by the power of their enemies. Uh, but by the Holy Spirit, uh, this man was able to stand up and fight against the Lord's enemies and prevail because God was with him. Um, a, a more well-known uh, discussion is when we get into where God starts putting kings over Israel. Um, and the first king of Israel, uh, Saul, um, he received the spirit of the Lord to, to assist him in his ruling of the people of Israel. Uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 5 through 6 um, Let's see, this is Samuel speaking uh, to Saul. And he says, uh, After that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, uh, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place uh, with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre uh, before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy. Uh, uh, you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. 
So here we have, you know, the the, the promise to Saul that the Spirit's going to come upon him. He's going to be guided. He's going to be able to prophesy. Um, and it's, you know, it's all connected with him being set up as the ruler of the people of Israel. Does anybody remember what happened to Saul after this, though? Was he a faithful king over Israel? No, he wasn't. Does anybody remember what God did in response to that? Spirit was taken away from him. Spirit was taken away from him. If we look at um, just a few chapters later, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. It says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so there we see Saul was not faithful to uh, his calling as the the king of Israel. He did not obey God. Um, Various things that he did were were not pleasing to God. Um, And the spirit of the Lord was taken from him, and he was no longer... um, given that wisdom necessary to, to rule the people. And, you know, eventually he, you know, wound up dying in a, in a battle with the Philistines. Um, and um, also, and, you know, God told him even before that, that's basically you're going to get replaced. Um, I'm, I'm going to take you away from leading Israel, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put someone else in your place. Now, the person who replaced him was David, right? And David was a man after God's own heart, uh, just a very great king of Israel. Um, how did David do, though? Did he always do what God wanted him to do? Mixed bag. Mixed bag, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, David David had his moments as well, right? When he, um, he was not uh, as obedient as he should have been. Um, one thing in particular um, is that he sinned with, with Bathsheba, the, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Um, but uh, one thing that we see there is that uh, when he was confronted uh, by Nathan regarding his sin, uh, he was very repentant, and he turned his face back to God. Um, does anybody know uh, what uh, you know what, what psalm it is that... Um, that talks about this, where where uh, David is repented for his sin. Nobody remembers which psalm that is. Fifty-one. Fifty-one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Psalm Psalm fifty-one. And in Psalm fifty-one, there's an interesting passage there. Um, psalm fifty-one. We're gonna just read uh, verses nine through twelve of Psalm fifty-one. Um, Here David is praying. He says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So what do we see there? What's what's David concerned about? Renew a right spirit within me. He, he's he sees that he has sinned against God. He mm-hmm. that he, he feels like he needs to be renewed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely very repentant, and and it's like he wants to get back into that right relationship with God um, that he's obviously 
put himself in a bad place. What else do we see specifically here? Oh, and the cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Mm-hmm. It, again, he's, he, I don't know if he knows that the Holy Spirit was taken from Saul, but he at least sees that as a possibility. Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean he presumably he was aware that I mean, you know, he knew that the that a, an evil spirit had tormented Saul because he was often brought in to, to play music for him. Uh, but yeah, I mean he realizes that it's like this this gift of the Holy Spirit in order to lead the people of Israel is not guaranteed. God could God can revoke that. Um, and so um, so he's that's he's very concerned about that, and he's praying, God, don't don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. I mean, wouldn't that be a sign of God's judgment on David if he did take his spirit? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely would be. Um, but you know, as you said, you know, David is a mixed bag, and we see that you know that overall he was uh, a very faithful uh, servant of God. Uh, I mean, it's I, you know I I often think about just like the the real contrast. Uh, between like one of one of Saul's sins, uh, where he was told to wipe out, I believe it was the Amalekites, um, and instead he's like, you know, capturing booty, and you know, it's like well, we can, we can kind of get rich off these people. You know, we don't need to like kill all their animals and everything like that. We can just we can just keep some of this stuff for ourselves. And and Samuel comes to him and confronts him, and what does he do? I was going to sacrifice it to God. Yeah, exactly. He he makes up an excuse and says, "Look, look, I was yeah, I was going to sacrifice to God. I wasn't doing anything wrong." And when you think about when Nathan came to David, what was David's response when he was confronted with the sin of Bathsheba? Psalm fifty-one. <laughs> yeah, Psalm fifty-one. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, even in the, even in the narrative, you yeah. look at it, and he just immediately realizes, I. I'm a sinner. I I have done evil, um, and so you see just a distinct difference in in Saul and David. Where Saul is, he's he's willing to sin against God and then just try to make excuses for it. Where David, he sees his sin and he's just like, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm a sinner, and um, and seeks God's mercy, um, which is the the appropriate response. So, but yeah, it definitely would have been a sign of judgment if. God had removed his Holy Spirit from him when he'd had none from Saul. And also as we consider um, various other works, um, it it gets a little sparser after this. These are kind of the major things, but we do see uh, God doing other things. Um, You know, we saw him empowering judges uh, specifically, but uh, we also see God providing miraculous strength, um, in, particularly in the in the case of uh, of Samson. Uh, so Judges chapter 15, verses uh, 14 and 15. Uh, here, uh, Samuel had been, or not Samuel, but uh, sorry, Samson um, had been bound uh, to be delivered over to the Philistines. And says uh, that when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a, uh, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it, and with it 
he struck 1,000 men. Now, I really don't think anybody by their own human strength is going to single-handedly, um, with basically just a improvised club, defeat a thousand armed men. I mean, it's just like this is just never going to happen. You know, you know, even if you're Chuck Norris, you're you know somebody's eventually going to get you. You know, um, but uh, but the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The the spirit of God empowered him. And enabled him to have such great strength and skill in battle that he was able to overcome a thousand men all by himself. So that's a, another thing that we see the Holy Spirit doing. Another thing that pops up a handful of times uh, is specifically uh, the Holy Spirit providing knowledge, um, not just wisdom for leadership, but knowledge in how to accomplish things. Um, specifically, we see. Um, Exodus uh, chapter uh, 31 this is actually recorded in a couple places but we'll just look at one of the places uh, Exodus chapter 31 look at the first five verses here um, and this is this is when they're talking about the the construction of the of the tabernacle and all the utensils here uh, and the Lord said to Moses see I have called by name uh, Bazalel the son of Uri son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, the work to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, and to work in every craft. Now, in a sense, you would think, it was like, well, can't you just find somebody that already knows how to do all this stuff? And I mean... I don't know, you know, necessarily why there was a shortage. I mean, obviously they were living as slaves, so uh, they may just not have had that ability. But, but specifically here, the Spirit of God is coming and is providing this ability. Uh, he's, he's providing the intelligence, the knowledge, the craftsmanship, um, all of these things. I mean, I, I, I it's kind of hard to even imagine what this is like, where it's just like you don't really know how to do stuff, and then you know. Holy Spirit just leads you to to be able to do these things, but uh, but we see that this is something that the Holy Spirit uh, does, just imparting knowledge to somebody, um, just in an immediate sense. Um, <clears throat> Nehemiah, um, as he's uh, in the in the book of Nehemiah, the the Levites are praying and they actually are referring back to this period of time. Um, when the, the Israelites are moving through the wilderness. Um, and in Nehemiah 9.20, they say, uh, You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them uh, water for their thirst. And so the, the Levites there are looking back at this and they're, and they're thinking about you know how God has provided for his people um, and specifically how he provided for the people of Israel as they went through the wilderness. Um, but specifically saying that you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Um, and again, just emphasizing the goodness of God, just the, the generosity of God um, in caring for his people um, and not just providing, um, you know, just, well, they've, yeah, they've got food, they've got water, those are, those are important things, but also instructing them, giving them knowledge, giving them understanding. 
And uh, then finally, um, Psalm 143, verse 10. Uh, there, if I remember correctly, it is David. Um, he is praying here and says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And so there again, referring to the spirit and using that term, the, the good spirit, uh, talking about the goodness of God um, and uh, just the, the guidance that God provides. Uh, he is asking that he teach him to do his will. I mean, there we see like a, basically a prayer for sanctification. Um, and we're going to, as we look at the New Testament, we see um, the, the work of the Spirit specifically in, in believers um, that's, that's laid out there. And we talk about the, you know, the, just the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see that you know, to a very great degree. That the Holy Spirit is working to sanctify his people. Um, but uh, that, that happened you know, even in the Old Testament. God was with his people and uh, was leading them uh, on level ground. He was guiding them to, to know and understand and be able to do the will of God. Any thoughts or comments or extra questions? I think the thing that stands out in my mind is, and thank you for that, taking us through there. I mean, it just sort of reminds us that, that God sends his Holy Spirit to, like he did to hover over the waters just to, to be there in God's works with humanity, you know, whether that's works of redemption or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just amazing to see how often the Holy Spirit is present. And yet, probably if we had asked the class ahead of time, you know, was the spirit here or there or whatever? We would probably said, no, not, you know, didn't see it so much. And mm-hmm. I just made me think, so, you know, how often do we miss the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, and yet God, he says, whenever something's important, it's like the spirit of God is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's just incredible just to be reminded of God's great love for his people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, yeah. A, that's a very good point. I mean, definitely, I mean, you see the care of God for his people and the just the constant presence of God in you know in the person of the Spirit, um, and you know we could look at many other places where it talks about God's presence with His people, where it doesn't it's not explicitly talking about the Spirit, you know, but still the Spirit is there. So, but yeah, we do like often not really think through these things. Um, so it's a it's definitely good to to go through and see what the Scripture says about these things. Yeah. Anything else? Well, we're not quite to 10:30, but it's uh, you know, that's 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 the material we were going to cover. So let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you uh, that you are present with us in that way. Um, and God, we just pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us on a level path, that you would teach us to obey your will. God, we are so often uh, tempted to to go our own way, uh, to rebel against you, and um, God, we uh, truly in our hearts we desire to be a people who follow your law. And so, God, I just pray that you would just fill us with your Spirit, enable us to do that. And God, as we continue to worship you, that you would uh, just draw our minds, draw our thoughts, draw our hearts uh, to meditate on you, to meditate on your Word. 
and Lord, just that we would honor you in all things. Pray in Christ's name.